That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. I'm Diana Rossini, and my dilemma is I do not drink enough water, and I'm starting to look like I'm about 85 years old. So this is actually something I've struggled with forever, even though I know that water is good for your skin. It helps with weight loss, digestion, joints, kidneys, exercise. It also really helps with hangovers. So if for nothing else, Diana, do it for that. But I'm sure you've already been told all this, and you already know that water is very good for you. So it's not about why. It's about how to make yourself drink more. So here are two tricks you can try. One, just set an alarm in your phone every two hours. Label it H2O and check in and see if you've had any water since the last alarm. I know you just told me you just were drinking coffee and realized it had been days since you had a glass of water. Set the alarm. That should help. Or step it up and steal a trick that my friends and I used for years to keep up our workout habits. So we had this thing where we each had to work out four times a week and take a selfie after each workout to post to our private Facebook group. And if you didn't hit your four per week, that punishment was donating $20 to your least favorite politician and posting the receipt on social media so other people would have to see it. So say for you, you'd keep a tally of each time you finish one water bottle and then email a friend or text a friend that has to keep you accountable. And if you don't get in... I don't know, four or five water bottles a day, then you have to donate the money and post about it. This is basically as much about being competitive as it is not wanting to fund a jerk, and you're super competitive, so I think this just might work. The commission has spoken. This dilemma was brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. That's what she said. This week's guest is the delightful Diana Rossini, NFL host, reporter, insider, and analyst for ESPN on NFL Countdown and NFL Live. She's also an occasional fill-in anchor on SportsCenter. It was really great to actually get to know her a little bit. We have uh, exchanged tons of messages on social media and been at different events together, but we haven't spent a ton of time. So I really loved learning a little bit more about her from punching out girls in the middle of soccer games to her unhealthy habits involving Tom Brady's social media um, we also talked about the low point of her career, the toughest assignment she ever had when she had to cover the Sandy Hook shooting, um, got into her sort of come from behind mentality and self-deprecating approach to her career and to life. I really think you guys are going to enjoy this. Here's my conversation with Diana Rossini. That's what she said. So excited to have Diana here. Uh, you know, we have like never really worked together, I don't think, other than the occasional radio appearance on Spain and Fitz or crossing paths on Levitard show. So I'm so excited to get to know your background a little bit more. Um, we've mostly just interacted. I think it's sort of parties and ESPN related events. Is that right? Yeah. And Twitter and social media. I feel yes, like of course. We're, of course. we're actually like in the best friend territory when it comes to social media, <laughs> yes. but in real life, uh, we probably need to do a better job of connecting. Agreed. Agreed. So let's go all the way back. You're at uh, Northern Valley at Old Tappan back in New Jersey. And uh, old tap in high school. What kind of what kind of kid are you in in junior high and high school? I'm a big jock. Uh, I'm intense about all my sports. Uh, I was raised by a, a typical New York family. That um, my mom is one of those tiger moms, just like whatever the Italian version would be of that. <laughs> and they just sort of put this pressure on me early on of, you know. You're not that smart. You're not that pretty. So you better find something you're good at. And so sports just was natural for me. And uh, I think I just was always addicted to competing. And that turned out to be my passion. But that was sort of my activities, extracurricular activities. But in school, I was class president. I I was just sort of middle of the way. Uh, I was an okay student, good at some things, horrible at math. But, uh, <laughs> Me too. I hate yeah. being that stereotypical. Yeah, it's, just, it's boring. It's true. It's hard. But <laughs> I like to think um, most people, if you talk to that I went to school, would, would say I was a good person. But my senior yearbook, I won most likely to win the game of Survivor. So that was kind of weird. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, so you played four sports. You were all state in all of them. Fill me in on this, because where I'm from, you can't do more than three. Like, you're not allowed to do multiple ones at the same time. So how are you all state in soccer, basketball, softball, and track? Great question. I get it all. The, people ask this all the time. <laughs> um, so essentially, so I played soccer, basketball, and softball for three years. And 
the true talent I had. I wasn't really good at any of them. I was I was good, obviously. If I was, oh yeah, you were all state, I was good. So I'm sure you were okay. I never really believed that I was great at it. The most I had to work at all those skills um, in all three of those sports. But my actual talent, like my God given talent, was I was just a great runner. My endurance is really good. So uh, when I was a kid, like really young, probably about five years old. I broke the record in the country for the fastest mile for a five-year-old. Whoa. Um, it was eight minutes and 16 seconds. And so every year from, I guess, kindergarten all the way through eighth grade, I broke the record every year. Um, whatever it was, um, you know, then I became the, n- the new owner of that record. I think I still have the five-year-old one, but the, all the other ones have been broken since. That said, I didn't like running, though. I hate running. I still hate running. <laughs> I don't even like walking. And um, my grandfather, right before he died, um, I was in the hospital with him. He, had, he was dying of cancer, and we knew it. And I was holding his hand, you know, f- last few days. And he said to me, promise me, promise me you will run track at one point in your life. Oh, my goodness. And so fast forward to high school, my junior year wraps up. And my parents are like, hey, remember that promise you made your grandfather? You have a year left here. Uh, And at that point, it was hard because I was really good at my spring sport, which is softball. And so I said, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And it worked out because I knew I was going to play soccer in college. So I said, it'd probably be good for training. So I went out on the first day of track practice. And, you know, the track coaches knew nothing about me. They knew I was a good athlete, but they said, oh, let's just see if you can run. And so the first day I beat all the boys and they're like, nice. okay, you're good. Well, um, what did you run? So I ran the 800, the mile and the two mile. Oof. And, oh. uh, yeah, the, that weekend, the, the weekend after tryouts was the first big meet and I was sick to my stomach and my coach just looked at me and he said, look, you don't know what you're doing and it's going to work to your advantage. Just run till you feel sick. <laughs> so I went out there and I won and, you know, I beat, I think, at the, I think the first race I beat the county champ and the girl, I will never forget. I know her name too. It's Clara Nowakowski from Ridget. I remember her looking at me like, who the Is hell <laughs> are you? You're annoying. Uh, so yeah. yeah. So that was, that was my athletic career. So the, well, first of all, I have to ask this because as someone who did the heptathlon, I had to finish every heptathlon with an 800. And because first of all, you're not really an 800 runner. Usually if you're a heptathlete, that's usually like the throwaway at the end. Um, every time when I was done, like I would hurt in my lungs for like a half hour. Did that always feel like that to you? Or if you actually train right, right, does that go away? Sarah, nobody is an 800 runner. It's <laughs> freaking hell. I, my coach begged me to run it. He used to beg me to run the eight and the two. I love the mile. The mile was like that perfect space for me. You're not really sprinting. You, you know, and, and the run wasn't too long where I would get bored. It was perfect for me. The eight, the, if, if anyone listening has, has never run it, it, it just feels like you want to throw up the whole time because mm-hmm. you're just going, going, it's going. It's essentially like a half mile sprint. Yeah. Cause you can't really go slowly enough because you're, you need to go, you know, pretty quick, but you have to also at least be aware of the fact that you have to keep up the pace for a full half mile. And you never really settle in because yeah. you're always kicking at some point. Yeah, it's uh, brutal. Yeah. It stinks. Um, I'm very impressed. So you are all stayed in that your senior year. You're obviously a natural. What made you decide to end up doing soccer in college then instead of track or one of the other sports? Another great question, because my parents are like, hey, you can get a full ride playing softball, basketball, running track, but you pick the one sport that you didn't get a full scholarship for, you're an ass. Um, so I think I liked that. So I played on a team in, in high school where the th- the three other captains with me all got full rides. And we knew early on in our careers in high school that they were going to, they were going to be able to pick whatever school they wanted. And I think I either wanted to be part of that or prove everyone that you don't think I can play Division One, but I can. And it turned out that I really couldn't. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I took a visit to a bunch of different schools. Every school was like, yeah, you're too small. Your skill set's not very good. Um, and I had known I wanted to be a reporter at that point, which is, is pretty cool. Like I, I knew I wanted to be a reporter since I was five. So when I went to George Mason, my thought when I was visiting there was this is actually kind of a perfect school. The program's strong, but it's not too good. And it's right outside DC. I could get internships. And the coach there was like, look, 
I'll let you walk on. You're you're probably not going to make it, but at least you have a backup plan. So um, I wound up going to George Mason, and then I walked on, and I wound up I wound up being a scholarship athlete. And uh, probably my favorite takeaway from that experience, and I mean, I have a million, but in terms of looking back and reflecting on it, uh, the coach who told me I probably wouldn't make it actually became a, a gigantic supporter of mine. Oh, that's awesome. But he said to me, I didn't want to say this to you your freshman year, so I'm going to say it to you now, and this was probably like my junior, senior year of college. He said, I called your high school coach when you were a senior to just sort of get the story, what your deal is, what kind of player. And he said to me that you wouldn't play a day of Division One soccer, that you didn't have it. And wow. I thought that was weird. I've never had a coach Volunt like part like volunteer yeah this girl's throw not you good. under the bus exactly he goes so I went one step further and I thought this was really cool with my college coach I found out the biggest rival in your division was in high school and I called that coach and he told me I'd be a fool not to sign you and huh. I and so it was, he's like the opponent spoke better of you and I thought so that, what was wrong with your coach um I think it was I I think I was a little too vocal. I probably was like, hey, you're not a very good coach. <laughs> so I still see him around town sometimes when I go visit my parents. I see him at the grocery store. I'm like, what's up? Like, I, I kind of want to say something at this point. Yeah. But I probably, what am I going to say, Sarah? Oh, I already would have at some point for sure. I like to think I won. You know, you did. You absolutely did. That's crazy. So I, I wonder, you're sort of self-deprecating and you talk, go, you're not, your skill set wasn't great. You weren't fast enough. You weren't good enough. Why do you think you're like that? Because most people who were super successful in everything they tried uh, are not super self-deprecating and and cutting on themselves. I think it goes back to how I started this, talking about the way my parents raised me, of keeping me really grounded, of, look, you, you obviously have some gifts, but you're never going to be the best at anything, so you better figure out a work ethic that is going to at least match or at least keep you afloat with the rest that are naturally gifted. So I think that I've always just had this idea that I'm I'm not even an underdog, but that it's always going to take a little bit more work for me to stand out. And I think it's helped keep me sharp and it keeps me motivated. Uh, I even in track, you know, when we were talking about that senior year, when I did it, I was always great during a meet when I was in second place going into the final lap of that mile. Right. Because I loved coming from behind. I think it's just a mentality. And um, I think the day I stop acting or thinking, the day I think I arrive, I probably won't be very good at anything. <laughs> right. Won't I'll put in the work. Yeah. yeah. So I, I like being this. I'm a daughter of a plumber and a nurse. So we. I was raised in a very blue collar family. My uncles were all plumbers. And I think that's just the culture I grew up in. So uh, what culture inspired you to punch an opponent in college soccer? <laughs> the Italian spice in me. <laughs> All right. So it's parents weekend. My my family, they're very, very supportive. But um, my father was in 9-11. And uh, that was my that was my freshman year, the September of my freshman year. And I'm the oldest girl in my family. And. Me going to college in Virginia was was difficult for them after 9-11 because there was obviously a gigantic fear and my dad had a lot of uh, post-traumatic stress that he was dealing with because he was in Tower One and thank thank God was able to get out. Um, So my experience in college playing soccer was really difficult because of 9-11 and because uh, there's, there's also the DC sniper when I was there too. So there was like a lot of really bad things happening in the world. And my my parents didn't really come down to Virginia that much. I would go back up to Jersey and visit them. Um, but to get to get to this story, so it's parents' weekend. I begged them to come down. They're like, "All right, we'll come, we'll come." And we're playing Hofstra of all schools, which is great because that's like in my neighborhood of where I grew up. And we're playing um, basically final few seconds of the half tie game. And I'm right in front of the net, and I'm squared off. I have the keeper behind me. And my midfielder's looking at me, and basically we do the same play all the time, which is she just plays the ball to the inside of my foot. I turn on the keeper, almost like I, I box her out a little bit, and I can usually turn and score on it. That's usually was my, I'd say, my best move. And this keeper, this girl, I will never forget her. She had a color, she had yellow hair like a highlighter, like <laughs> all the way down to her butt. And I had a long brunette braid. 
and she just pulled my braid all the way down to like, so my body went down, right? Because your head goes with your hair. Ref doesn't see it. So while I'm down on the ground, and by the way, this is all on video. Oh boy. My parents home video. You hear my mom go, Diana, no. (laughs) She must have just, she knew like the anger I would have. And I came up, Sarah. I had never punched anyone before in my life. I came up square in the face, right across her nose. Her nose explodes. (gasps) Blood everywhere. Ref obviously blows the whistle. My teammates are looking like, holy crap. You know, ref tosses me, ejects me. I go up to my coach, the same coach, by the way, uh, that, that was a supporter later in my career. He goes, get to the bench. You're an embarrassment. Good job. Oh my God. <laughs> and he sidebarred. He goes like, good job. Wow. Um, so yeah, it, it was cool, but, um, yeah, I think I did a couple, I had a couple. At least you didn't go viral like that one girl. The thing is, I, I could if I put, if I post the video that my yeah. mom has, I probably could, but not I don't too late. I, I, I can't. The, my favorite part of the whole video is not even my punch, which by the way, afterwards I had a, uh, my dad got a bucket of ice for me and he just stuck my hand in it because <laughs> this thing, once the adrenaline went away. Oh, I'm sure. It, it was the, it was probably one of the worst injuries I've ever had in soccer was that was my fist from that girl's <laughs> face. Um, but did you uh, break her nose? Oh yeah. Did you feel bad afterwards? No. No. Wow. No, no, no. We could have won the game. We wound up losing, by the way. Like You're the bu- a lunatic. Yeah, I'm totally crazy. You're um, a lunatic because a girl broke my nose in field hockey, not with her fist, with a stick. And I think she should feel bad for her whole life for giving me a crooked nose. No, I, I get that. I've given girls concussions and stuff just from going up for a ball. Diana. No, not because not I punch them, but like, you know, I go up for a, you know, a 50-50 ball. My elbow hits them in the face. Or like that happens a bunch of times. Um and those I feel really bad about. But that girl was not, that, that chick was from New York. She was she asking was, for she it. She was talking trash. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. I'm going to stay on your good side. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, all right. So you're, you're, st- you already knew you wanted to be a reporter. You said that. At what age did you decide that and what, what inspired it? Um, I was always just really curious as a kid. My parents said when we used to live in the Bronx, we used to sit on the front stoop and the fire trucks used to, fly by and I would have my coloring book and I would run after them and try to draw the pictures of what I was seeing and run back to the house and stand in the living room and be and you know say you know I'm Diana Rossini and I'm, this is Fox 5 New York because that was like the station we used to watch back then <laughs> and uh and I have tons of home videos of that and I mean even in college my entire team knew I was going to do this and they were so supportive they would let me interview them with my hairbrush on the bus on the (laughs) locker room um i'll never forget we were doing a drill and uh it was my senior year i think and and one of the new rookies went up for a ball with me and she had her elbow up which is totally fair if you think about it because you're playing practice we were always really tough and the other captain of my team went berserk on her She's like, do you get if you hit her in the face, she's going to have to be a blogger. She's trying to be on TV. (laughs) (laughs) I think they're all protective of my face because they knew I wanted to be on television. It was so stupid. But I'm so I look back on it all the time and think like that was so cool of them to to care that much. Um, So I feel like throughout my entire career, whether it was my family, my teammates, my friends, everyone has been all in on this. And it's been cool. And you started by interning at ABC for Diane Sawyer, right? Right out of college? Or was that still during college? So that was during college. And to get that internship, Sarah, it was insane. There were 500 kids in the cafeteria at the ABC building in New York City. And you had to go around to different lunch tables where different executives would sit and talk to you and ask you all these crazy questions. And after I got the internship, I found out why I got it. Um, So the last guy I met with, he... He didn't ask me anything about myself. All he asked me was a puzzle. And you had, you got to ask three questions, yes or no questions to try to solve the puzzle. And then you had to solve it. And according to him, I was the only person of all the kids that solved the puzzle. And I got totally lucky, by the way. Can I give you the puzzle? Yeah. 125 people inside a cabin found dead on the side of the mountain. What happened? You can only ask yes or no questions. 125 people inside of a cabin found dead on the on side, side of, of a mountain. mountain. What happened? 
um, some sort of, uh, you know, they left the gas oven on or something and they all died of asphyxiation. That was one of my uh, questions as well. No. Do you want me to tell you the answer now? Um, it was a cult and he murdered everybody and then himself. I like that one, but no. That was good. I didn't even think of that one. Um, a bear got into the cabin and the doors were locked and it killed everyone. Again, really good. No. All right. So here's the answer. And okay. by the way, it came to me and I was like, oh my God, that's it. As I said it, it was a plane crash. The people were in the cabin of the plane. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's so uh-huh. stupid, right? That's very stupid and also not a good reason to give someone an I know. Yeah. I was like, That's you know, a, you got it's lucky incredibly there. incredibly dumb. Yeah, it's so stupid. And by the way, the person is still a major executive at the, <laughs> at the network. Um, Just kidding. Great yeah. question. We love you, ABC Way to weed everybody out. <laughs> Way to weed out the losers like me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you get that gig uh, inexplicably based on a riddle. And um, what was it like? And did it reaffirm what you wanted to do? Oh, absolutely. So I got to follow Diane Sawyer around and... and basically just watch from afar what professionalism is and what it means to be the best at what you do. And then I also, I mean, they basically let me do everything I wanted to do, whether it was watch the shows from behind the scenes, log tape, work with producers. Um, and then I realized quickly, I, I knew I wanted to do it, but I really wanted to get my, my, my feet wet in the actual reporting side. So in New York City, the ABC network building is right next to the WABC, the local affiliates building. And when the, there was like a Starbucks right across the street that everybody from both networks would always go. And so I made friends. I started to talk to some of the photographers and some of the guys that worked in local. And I convinced one of them, this guy, Angelo, who I'm still friends with. I said, would you mind, um, would you put me on camera and just let me shoot a couple like on cameras? And he said, uh, all right, sure. So I did that and I wound up sending that tape to the actual local station so I could get another internship the following summer. And that's what I got. And then it really took off from there because I was trained by the best reporters in the world of how to, how to do it right, how to avoid those early career mistakes. And um, I just got into local news right after that as a news reporter. We'll be right back with more That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Tissot is the official watch of the NBA, and each one of Tissot's timepieces delivers quality performance and traditional luxury. This graduation season, get the NBA fan in your life a Tissot watch. The Tissot Chrono XL is a great watch for those looking for a sporty chronograph with Swiss technology at an unbeatable price. Shop now at us.tissotshop.com. That's what she said. Yes, yeah, so this was all, your your dream was always to be a news reporter. Mm-hmm. Right. So the first couple jobs in New York City, then you moved to Seattle, right? And yeah. and at that point, were you still doing straight news? So I was sort of similar to my athletic career. Everyone kept saying to me, you should do sports. You love sports. You're an athlete. And at that time in my life, I was a little tired of being the jock in town. So I thought being a news reporter would would be more challenging for me. The sport, like in my mind, sports was easy. Right. Which we both now know yeah. that is so not the case. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, let me try news. And um I wound up breaking a bunch of stories on crime and um I got the attention of a of a couple network heads in New York City and, and really early in my career I was a general assignment reporter at, at WNBC, which was a really big deal at the time, and I was in over my head. To be a great reporter, not only do you have to have the skill sets, because at that time I thought maybe I did but you have to have life experience. And I was 23 years old. I lived with my parents. I had no life experience. And it affected the way I covered news. And I felt lost. And I talked to the sports anchor there, who this guy named Bruce Beck. He was such a nice guy. And we used to just talk about the Yankees and the Mets and whatever sports were that, were, that was going on. And he goes, look, you're a fine news reporter, but I can promise you there are no women right now on the local level that uh, understand sports on a natural level the way you can. I think you should try it. Go move to another city and then come back to New York. So I moved to Seattle. and that, That's a very far move. And, <laughs> I didn't even did know where you know was anything about Seattle sports? No, I knew nothing. <laughs> they used to have me on the radio shows there just to hear my accent. Not because yeah. I had anything smart to say. Yeah, actually, I was going to ask about that, too. When you live in New York and you're working in New York, it's totally fine to sound like you do. But there are certain... 
places、um, and agents and stuff that will try to minimize the accent. Has, has that ever come up for you throughout your work? Oh, absolutely. Every market I work in. But mine's not that bad. Like, you've heard me and seen me on camera. I, obviously, in, in a setting like this where we're just hanging, I let it rip a little bit more. I'm more myself. <laughs> but I think it's become part of me. I think once you can build up a little bit of credibility and experience and you look comfortable on the air, people don't really care、right. what you sound like. Some of the best reporters and hosts I've seen on, especially on ESPN, they have a little, like Linda Cohn is amazing. Oh, yeah. You know, Marty Smith, I mean, he's got the, the, the harshest Southern drawl I've ever heard in my life and he's, <laughs> he's doing pretty darn well. So you end up in Seattle and when you got into the sports side, were you like something clicked? I should have been doing this all along or was there a part of you that thought you'd get back to news? No, actually,、uh, in terms of sports, I didn't like it. I said I wasn't familiar with the, with Seattle. I didn't know the city, nevertheless, the sports. So I started to think, all right, maybe I need to swing back into news. And at the time I, I met somebody in LA and I thought we were going to get married and we wound up not getting married. And he called off the wedding about、oh. two months before we were supposed to get married.、Brutal. And yeah, it was awful. It's, yeah, it was definitely probably the worst time of my life because what had happened was I left Seattle. I moved to LA、uh, for a job that wound up not working out. So I was unemployed, engaged. And then unemployed and,、uh, broken up with and single again. And so my whole life just swirled the drain and I had to move back home in with my parents. I was about 27 then and、wow. it was brutal. I mean, every insecurity I ever had, all the feelings and fear I had of disappointing my parents who worked so hard for me and gave me all these opportunities to play in all these different club teams and soccer and, Obviously supported me through George Mason. I'm thinking, here I am on my computer looking up jobs to sell advertisements on internet websites.、It、was like, that was what I was going to do. And I'm sitting there at the kitchen table and maybe I'm a masochist, but when I was in college, I had a different boyfriend and he was really supportive of my soccer career. And he used to always write me these great emails before games to just kind of get me focused and motivate me. And his name was Mike. So while I'm at the bottom of the rung here, I decide to look in my Gmail to search Mike's name to see, you know, maybe, maybe something will motivate me. Maybe going back to that time where I was really happy could help me here. And I'm scrolling down and I see, you know, all 50,000 of his awesome emails. And right on the bottom, I see this guy named Mike St. Peter.、I'm、like, who the hell is that? So I click on it and it is an email and it, it's from him and says,、uh, we're not interested, but thank you. And underneath it is an email <laughs> from me and it says, hi, my name's Diana Rossini. I'm a freshman in college. I really want to be a TV reporter. I think I'd be great at your station at NBC Connecticut. And you know, he's like, get out of here. You're 12. I'm sure, you know, <laughs> so I. I don't know why I did this. And to this day, he and I laugh about it. I just replied to that email where he said, we are not interested 10 years later. And I said, hi, you weren't interested then. Would you be interested now? Here's my link. Would love to talk. He writes me back in two seconds. Can you come to West Hartford, Connecticut tomorrow? Wow. And I went up there and he said, I need a news reporter for three days a week and a weekend sports anchor. Perfection. Which, I said, I'll take it. And he offered me the job and from NBC Connecticut. Um, I got to,、uh, NBC Washington and from NBC Washington, I'm here. Wait. So let's talk about Connecticut because you were splitting time between sports and news.、Mm-hmm. Um, and among the things you covered were the Boston Marathon bombing, um, and the Sandy Hook elementary shooting. So how do you cover things like that? How are, cause for me, I, I have, um, I guess it's, I think of it as sort of an empathy problem. I can't handle things that make me,、uh, too empathetic for other people and too sad. 
Um, and so I don't really watch the news unless it's got like a funny twist to it, like the Daily Show or something like yeah. that. Um, so I can't even imagine. I like I I have trouble doing feature stories for ESPN with sad things because I cry on camera while the people are telling me about their their kids or or what yeah. bad thing happened. Um, how do you compose yourself and how do you not take it home with you? No, um, Sandy Hook Elementary was the hardest story I will ever work on. I, I I'm not saying I can predict the future, but I I'm gonna guess that that'll that'll wind up being the most difficult day of my life as a journalist. Um, I was supposed to cover a JV basketball fundraiser that morning. And my news desk called me and said, Hey, I know you're working on this, like this feature. There's, you know, shots fired in, in Newtown at Sandy Hook Elementary. Can you just swing by? It's probably just something, you know, stupid because you, you get a lot of false alarms. I was like, Ugh. it was a Friday morning. And I'll never forget the girl named Amanda would call me. I'm like, Amanda, really? She's like, please. She's like, I'll buy you a drink tonight. I was like, okay, cool. Like, just to persuade me to go. Right. So I swing by, and within two seconds, I knew this thing was real. People were running everywhere. There were moms and parents screaming, people running with their kids. Picture just chaos. And police were just getting there. And... Because we just happened to be so close. It were, I mean, in terms of the, from the news coverage standpoint, it worked out that we were that right there. And I just, I mean, you're taught early in your, you know, in, in TV news, you, you just throw the camera up and you start talking to people. And I was, I could Were you one man band at this point or did you have a cameraman? I had a cameraman who I'd worked with all the time and he's, um, he was great. So he was aggressive with me and we're just chasing people down and I couldn't find, I, we didn't know what happened. People were just, Emotional cry. I can't get to my kids. There were shots fired. There's a murder. There's a guy. There's a shooter. There's an active shooter. People freaking out. There was a cop. I will never forget. I gave my cameraman my microphone. I said, just keep talking to people. And there was a cop on the curb, hysterically crying. Oh. And I walked up to him and I put my arm around him and I said, I'm not going to report anything, but can you please tell me? Can you just tell me what is happening? And he said, they're all dead. They're all dead. They're babies. They're babies. And I was like, what, what, what? And he's like, there, mm. somebody went in there. And that is when, I mean, I, I was, I'm emotional even talking about it now, realizing this is, this is a travesty. This is going to be one of the worst things to ever happen in the history of the United States. And I was there for four days. I, I went home for a few hours and then would go back and it was just coverage constantly. And, I was really strong through it all. I never really broke down on the air. I spoke to tons of parents. And so this is uh like middle of December when this happened. And fast forward July, I'm sitting on my parents' deck with my mom. I'm helping her fold laundry and we're just talking. And I, I just started hysterically crying. And she's like, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm like, mom, I can't believe all those kids died. She's yeah. like, what? What do you like? She had no idea. It just randomly hit me one day. So I, I think I, in the moment, can obviously compartmentalize it, uh, but it does reveal itself. Catches up. Yeah, it does. It does. So you were at NBC Connecticut uh, right before going to uh, WRC TV in Washington D.C. How long were you in Connecticut? I was there a year, and then the news director for WRC was taking his daughter to Yale. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, to Harvard. He was driving through Connecticut and they got tired on the ride. So they got a hotel room right in the in the Hartford area. And I happened to be weekend anchoring and he saw me. And the next day he called my news director and said, there's a woman named Lindsay Zarniak um, at our station who left for ESPN a year ago. And we haven't been able to replace her. Can we take Diana? And a WRC, NBC Washington is probably the most storied, uh, sports station in terms of local news, uh, in the country. It's, it's one of the most famous ones and they've produced a lot of superstars, um, because it's just a great sports town, obviously, but also the station's really good. So my boss said, all right, you know, the, Washington wants you. What do you think? I'm like, no, I like it here. I'm comfortable. And at that point, I felt so connected because of Sandy Hook and the Boston Marathon shooting. So I had, I was really close with everybody. And he's like, okay, that's great. I'm so glad. You're fired from here. I'm just letting you know that. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, you're going. This is huge. I was like, wow, one year ago, I was begging you essentially for a job. Yeah. And now I'm going to D.C. 
Well, it's so serendipitous, too, that someone just happens to be watching on television and sees you. You never that's, know, right? That's scary. Crazy. <laughs> um, so you loved your time at WRC. I've seen you talking about some of the mentors you had there. I, I know you said you cried on your last day on TV. Um, can you sum up that experience and, and how it sort of propelled you into realizing that maybe sports was something you wanted to do? It was my greatest fear was being in a gigantic market. Um, my first day in Washington, they said, okay, you're going to be the third man um, in terms of the schedule, right? Which basically means you're nobody. You're going to be on TV once a week. And that night, the main anchor who had been there for seven years called me and said, I'm taking a job with the NFL Network. I just want to let you know that. This was the man who essentially hired me and, and was going to teach me how to be a sports anchor and teach me how to cover football. Uh, and he was beloved in Washington. So he left for the NFL Network. So I'm thinking, all right, I can do the number two, I think. And then the number two guy decides to leave. So Bro, you're this, lucky. I, I know. I know. <laughs> so I become the number one sports, the, the main sports anchor in Washington, D.C., essentially by the th- first week. And I have to cover the Washington Redskins. And I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I had no clue how to cover football. Zero. And... I basically just called everyone I knew with a sports connection. I went back to my high school. I sat with the football coach at my high school and just said, look, can I come to your practice? Can we just go over basic stuff? We went over basic football knowledge. Uh, he worked with me. Um, I met some people in the NFL, luckily through some charity events, uh, Rex Ryan, Eric Mangini, Rob Ryan, and I called him and was just like, look, I have to cover the Washington Redskins. Can you help me? And they did. They they were like, look, RG3 is the story. And then, you know, so on and so on. And they quickly mentored me to understand the football side of it. And then the network uh, that I worked for, they were tremendous. They just helped me learn and grow. And I was really bad for the first six months. The city hated me because uh, <laughs> I wasn't a hometown girl. You know, local news people love their hometown people. And obviously, they don't sound like I'm from Virginia. Um or the DC area. And it was probably pretty obvious. I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. But the reason why I love that network so much is the anchors picked up on it quickly. The, the main, the news anchors knew they, and they'd been there for, for 30, 40 years. They were like, this isn't good. Our main sports girl is getting hated on. So they started to do this thing on the air where they would either make a joke about me or find ways to, to really put the light on me to, to show that they liked me. And the thought process was if the viewer can see we're embracing you, maybe they will. Yeah. And it worked. And um, someone said to me really early on when I took that job, you're not going to be Lindsay Zarniak. You're not going to be Dan Helly. You kind of lack the sweetheart um, gene. You're a news getter. <laughs> so go get news, go break news. If that's what you're good at, maybe just stick with what you're good at and then the rest will come. And I started breaking news and that's sort of what launched my career because I realized no matter how we consume media, if you can get news and stories and make relationships, um, you can separate yourself. So what would you say to someone who says, why do you think you deserved or got that job if you didn't know what you were doing when you started? Um, because I, I had the tools and I had the experience of being in a news environment and, and I understood the basics of how to find a story and how to do TV, you know, all the lingo I understood. Um, and I would put a lot of money down on me to be able to figure things out because that's really been the story of my life is I'm good when I'm uncomfortable because I like to get out of the space because I don't like being uncomfortable. Right. So, so you'll work your way into knowing everything you need to exactly. know. Exactly. And, yeah. and look, I've gotten, I've been challenged and I've made mistakes. I make so many darn mistakes. We all do. But I, I think the good started to outweigh the bad, especially in Washington by the end that, you know, pe- people are pretty forgiving once they realize you do know what the heck you're talking about. So you cried on your last day. <laughs> Um, so once again, you're moving on to somewhere else reluctantly, or did you cry just because you'd miss it, even though you were, you were ready and, and excited about ESPN? I wasn't ready at all. <laughs> I was not ready at all. I was crying because I was scared out of my mind. I'm like, here I am. I finally made a home. Like DC's the best. I go, I can go anywhere. And like, people just are so excited about being, you know, meeting people from WRC and they want to know everything about our main anchors. I was like, this is the best. People love talking about the Redskins. 
Um, and I got lucky again, by the way. So Rob King happened to be visiting his parents in Washington, D.C. I mean, come and on. And saw me on the air. And, <laughs> and, um, there's actually, there's actually an even juicier story with that. Um, I had, ESPN had shown interest and at the time I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I was going to keep doing my job, which is be the sports anchor in Washington. And I was breaking stories on the team, but I was also breaking other stories because I started to meet a lot of people in the league quickly. And I got a great scoop from somebody that I knew from my days in Seattle that gave me what I thought was a great story, which is Tim Tebow was joining the Philadelphia Eagles. So I tweeted out, it goes everywhere. You know, I, I do all these hits for NBC Philly and you know, my, my network's like, look, it's not, it's not the Redskins, but that's great. Good. We never hear from ESPN again. Ooh. So I'm like, what, what's going on here? This is weird. And come to find out that ESPN thought I made the story up. Because Ooh. at the time, Schefter, who's my dear friend, couldn't confirm it. And they thought I was making it up and Ooh. being reckless. So I lost the opportunity. And my agent at the time, I had just hired an agent for the first time, really. He's like, look. I never asked you who gave it to you, and I'm never going to ask you if it's wrong. All I'm going to ask you is, do you feel really good about this? <laughs> I said, I will bet your commission on it. Like, wow. I, I am all in on this. And I wasn't, there's some stories you're feeling a little iffy because stuff is very fluid in the league. I knew this was, this was gold. And at the time, uh, Tebow just hadn't joined the team yet, but it was, it was going to be happening. And fast forward a week later, Tim Tebow signs with the Philadelphia Eagles. And the next day, ESPN hired me. Wow. <laughs> that Rob King, man, he was uh, he was uh, following me on Twitter for several months before he reached out to me. I did not know who he was or that he was following me um, for ESPNW stuff when I first got hired. Um, so he's got, he's always got his eyes and ears. He's open. got his eyes and ears. <laughs> and I think he obviously... You know, your listeners know you really well, and people, I think, picked up on my voice here. I think he likes people that are willing to just go for it. A little, right. m- maybe not the most perfect. Maybe not I've the been, most polished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I've been described as like rough around the edges. I used to hate. That's that. That's a choice for me, though. I don't like particularly polished. I find it fake. I prefer people that feel like they're they could be sitting next to me at a bar talking versus like. Welcome to the story. Oh my I'm gosh. about to tell you. Sir, I do that still sometimes. And I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing? Like, I look so, st- I'm, I'm horrible when I host NFL live and I'm like, I'm going to be Susie today because Susie's the best at this. And I'm like, I'm going to be Susie today. And I'm like, okay, you can't be anybody but yourself. And that's like the best piece of advice for anyone that wants to get into television. Really, and it really is a lesson in life. You have to be true to who you are because it gets revealed. It really does. Well, and that's so true, like what the person told you about, you know, you can try to be the sweetheart, but if you don't have that in you, it's going to come across as false. And people would rather have whatever you genuinely are. I which tried was, it. I tr- I yeah. used to YouTube Lindsay's, Lindsay's Arnett stuff, <laughs> and she's like so authentically supportive of the Redskins. And I was like, I started to become the cheerleader. I was like, dance Snyder's so smart. Yeah. And I was like, okay, we all know this not true. Yeah. But it's natural for her that she is incredibly likable and that's just who she is. Um, but it is hard and it's, and it's becoming much easier. There are more representations of women out there to aspire to be like. But when I first started, I was like, okay, so basically it's Aaron Andrews <laughs> and then, and then like Summer Sanders. Right. And, you know, there was, and so, um, yeah, there is something to be said for like when you finally just get to relax and be yourself and people like that. And that's a great feeling. Because you're starting out just trying to copycat other people that are are probably, at least for me, I don't think I have the sweetheart gene either. So <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean we're not nice. It's just I I will never be a I will I was never the darling of my school, the yeah. darling of my team, the darling of my state. I'll never be the darling, but I'll definitely grab a beer with you. Time for a quick break, and then more. That's what she said with Sarah Spain. 
Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But now hiring can be easy and you just got to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash said. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and then invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash said. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash S-A-I-D. ZipRecruiter.com slash said. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. That's what she said. So I want to talk about covering, um, you know, I'm, whenever I have someone like you or Ramona Shelburne on, someone who goes and breaks news, gets the stories, reports on a specific team or sport, I'm fascinated by it because it's not something I've done. I worked in a sort of beat reporter capacity for a year at a startup website in Chicago really early in my career, but I was supposed to be just getting personality-driven stories on the players and showing people who they were, you know, not the X's and O's. So I'm fascinated by the idea of literally trying to beat out other people for a story and find sources and when you reveal them and what they're going to do for you. Um, how do you learn how to do that? I think I think it's it's innate. I definitely think it's something that's part of your personality. So while we talk about maybe I lack a little bit of that sweetheart gene, I do think I have other skills when I meet people that can either rub you the wrong way or make people feel really comfortable. I, I'm always one or the other. Um And it usually will. Most of the relationships I have, it takes a little bit for people to come around on me. I've never, my mom has been saying this to me since I was a little girl. Nobody ever likes you when they first meet you. In fact, your listeners probably right now are like, all right, I already skipped all this. <laughs> it takes a second because I think sometimes people are like, whoa, you're a lot of energy. You're mm-hmm. a little annoying. I've been there. Right. But then when they can see that you have a good heart and that your intentions are good, um, people are drawn to that. And I have found in the NFL, especially, being, and I'll use this word again, being authentic about what I need and what I'm doing has really helped me because I'm never trying to screw anyone over. I'm not trying to get anyone in trouble. It's something as simple as, hey, I'm working on the draft. I'm covering the Washington Redskins. You guys have known me for a long time. Can you can you give me some insight into what you're doing here in the draft? What what's Give me some of your frustrations. And they trust me and they trust that I'm going to tell the story the right way and I'm going to try my best to tell both sides. But I, I think if there's anyone out there that wants to get better at it, and, I, and I've had other reporters that I work with on in other sports ask me, like, how do you build these? I usually just go with being really upfront, really honest, and staying in touch. I think that's the other part of this that people forget or they just don't realize just because I'm not on TV doesn't mean I'm not working. I'm on my phone all the time. It's talking to people when you don't always need it either. And those relationships are so important that I've become friends with a lot of these people. So when something great happens in my life or I change jobs or I, something's good happening with them, somebody has a baby or their wife um, is doing something great, some charity, you know, they'll let me know the, the relationships just get deeper and you know, if anyone has been the king of it, it's Schefter, and he's taught me that, of really being disciplined about staying in touch with people and being good at networking. Um, and it's, it's, it grows. And the cool part about ESPN is other, you know, people in the league are watching our shows so much, so they feel like they know you. They feel like they, they've right. been friends with you. And, yeah, it's always crazy to me when I meet an athlete and they're like, oh, yeah, I see you on Around the Horn all yeah. the time. I'm like, oh, wait, you're watching? Yeah, I, I, I always. <laughs> I actually sometimes try to, t- to keep myself from thinking about them watching because I don't want to change what I say because, I know you know, That's, I want to be honest. It's smart. Some, I always get pictures of people whenever someone's in Vegas. And it's actually my favorite picture to get. Yeah, I except get, for your face is like a story I know, high. when you're in the sports I, book. I always get them on the plane. In an airport and then in a sports book. And I'm like, no, I need my face to be smaller than that. But it's, it's, it is a good reminder because we get stuck in the bubble of yes. Bristol or where you are in Chicago. You get stuck where you think nobody's listening and nobody's watching. And the truth, obviously my career is proof that people are watching. <laughs> right. Right. That's fascinating. Um, 
how do you, so when I had Tim Kirkshen on, I said being a beat reporter felt very, uh, uh, just the opposite of his personality. Um, and he said he actually treated it like a competition. So it wasn't about beating out other people or, or out scooping someone. It was just about competing for something. Do you like that part of the job? Do you get, do you thrive in the pressure of trying to find news or is it stressful? Oh, I love it. I love competing. It's my favorite. I, I love when I beat Adam. I'm like, yes, I beat Shafter! You know, or um, even just, yeah, and, and he's awesome. He's at a point in his career where he's yeah. he's competitive as hell. He's like, I'll give you that one. Yeah, what's her? Yeah. The, the thing is, I never like rub in his face. I would never say anything like that. But um, yeah, I think it's good. I think it keeps me sharp. I, I'm always thinking in the back of my head, um, you know, what more can I do? Rachel Nichols is always in the back of my mind. I, I joke with her all the time that I'm going to get a bracelet that says WW. Um, RD. What would Rachel do in terms? <laughs> and she's not a newsbreaker, but she's good at relationships and getting the story. Um, so I'm always interested in trying to find on how to advance the story. Um, I'd probably say that's actually something I, I am challenged with in terms of trying to shut it off. Cause I'm, I wake up every day going, it sounds sick, but it's true. What am I doing to get ahead today? How yeah. am I being the best? NFL reporter in the country right now. And it's, it's exhausting sometimes because sometimes does it make you happy? Yeah. I okay. Love it. Because I think there are people who are made happy by that and it makes them go. And then there are people like me where I'm actually happier if I work really hard and care about advancing, but I don't stress so much about ambition that it's all I do. Um, I need those moments of like checking out. I'm actually starting to look into meditation so that I can stop my, my day being one constant stream of information where I'm, I never take a break from trying to, to learn or know something. Um, because I think it can be really damaging to your other relationships and also just, um, to your body. Cause you're constantly in almost like fight or flight mode if yes. you're constantly stressing. It's such what you're talking about is so real and I, I do fight it and, I've gone up and down over the years with it and handling it. Sometimes I've been depressed because of it. Uh, I get in random funks if I don't feel like I'm performing enough or I, I have this, I, I don't know why this image is always in my head and it's probably bad. I need to unfollow him, but I always think of Tom Brady of what is he do? Like he's never stopping. Don't and, be Tom Brady. I, I, I know. Don't you want to eat nightshades I, and I, have I, wine? And strawberries. And- I know. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know why, but that's the person I'm always thinking about. And I, I like I said, I got to unfollow him um, because I think, I don't think he's very healthy for me in, in that side of it. Yeah. But, you know, over, I, I will say over the last year, I've taken more time to in relationships outside of work to balance me. And I have to tell you, when I chill out a little and do other things, I'm better at my job. Yeah. When I'm like a nutball, like this is all I do and I'm on my phone all the time and I'm always feeling like I have to be part of something. I'm a, I don't really think I'm a nice watch. I'm a little too tense, intense. Right. Well, and I had a, and I keep recommending people this conversation because I just loved it so much. I had a neuroscientist on a couple months ago and it was really fascinating to hear the ways that your brain reacts when you are in uh, stress mode and how there are actual scientific reasons behind why people should be given time off and breaks because you literally start filing information in the wrong folder of your brain's computer and you can't go back and access it and resource it if you're if you're trying to uh, do too many things at once. Um, and then when you're in that fight or flight, we have so many things now. It used to be like a caveman would be like, there's my rock. There's the tree yeah. I need to know to turn left. And now everything moves around all the time. So your brain trying to like spatially locate things and then use that to get you to what you need to do um, is working so hard. Um, anyways, really fascinating no, to that's learn. Really interesting because there, there is so much truth to that. And, and then, by the way, throw on top of it our phones and, you know, you're just always. Yes. Uh, people always ask me like, Oh, you know, what do you, what do you do to like die and work out? I'm like, nothing. Like I do nothing, which is so unhealthy. And- yeah, I'm going to cut this part because, uh, everyone's going to hate you. Oh, I don't mean, I didn't me. mean it like that. It's, <laughs> it's actually, I would rather be probably a little heavier and work out than not work out and be, sort of thin because I'm so stressed or I'm so intense all the time. And it's I'm trying to find a space of getting better at that balance of all of it. But I, I think I'm just driven by the idea that I'm not where I want to be yet. And I'm still trying to get there. And where do you want to be? Um I want I, I would love to be part of live games. 
I would love to to be part of pregame shows like a Monday night football, a Thursday night football, Sunday night football, where I'm at the game and and I'm part of the big show. I'm I'm usually on the pregames on Sundays for a game that's not on our air. I want to be on ESPN before the game, halftime, and after the game. I, and I, that would be to me the dream job. Okay, well, we put it out in the universe now, so now you've asked for it, so now you have to just go get it. And also, I think I might take on a side job as your life coach, because I would like to help you drink water and stop following Tom Brady and <laughs> exercise. I want to I want to take you under my wing. I know! And, Let's um, do it! Make you a little less intense. Uh, we got to work on this. Uh, do you do yoga? What? Wow. Okay. All right, we're going to talk about this off the air. We're running out of time, but you do have to do the one thing that everybody does and nobody expects. Didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. That's right. It's time for the Spanish Inquisition, which is brought to you by Tissot. Tissot, the official watch of the NBA. Shop at us.tissotshop.com. Number one, your Desert Island album. Like Desert Island album, meaning music, right? Yes, you're stuck on a desert island. You only get one album for the rest of your life. Beyonce. Which one? Ooh, uh, I'd probably say Lemonade, only yeah, because I, I, I was just listening to it recently, and I'm like, either I'm really angry at the world, or I'm really heartbroken, but I love this jam. Yeah, and it it really takes you on a journey. There's a whole lot. Yes. You can get you can There's get country on the island. Yeah, you can you, you can get vicious on the island. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's good. Uh, number two, what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? Mm. Fear of failure. Hmm. Interesting. That leads me to my next question. What would you consider your biggest failure? Not being married by 36. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that, that would be my I'm parents. Sorry, Diana. Diana's mother. Can you wait till? <laughs> right. Um, my biggest failure would probably be not not having when I was unemployed. I, I just I didn't I didn't work hard enough. That, that right. was probably my biggest failure. Number four, I already know this, but maybe outside of the soccer pitch, have you ever been in a fist fight? Yes. Do tell. All right. I was, <laughs> I'm like, gosh, people are going to think I'm just this brute. Um, <laughs> my really good girlfriend that I grew up with, she's the biggest press on the planet. She's an only child. So I essentially kind of feel like I'm her sister. Um, talks a big game when she drinks. She won't hurt. She won't touch a fly, though. She wears all designer stuff, head to toe. You know, she comes from money. Anyway, we're in a bar one day, and she says something to this girl for no—I don't even know why. So the girl goes at her, and I just stepped in front of her, and I because I knew she'd kill my friend Jay. So I stepped in front and punched her. Did you get punched back? Yes. How did that go? I won, but she got okay. a good. She did. She got a good shot in. Uh, it was like my lower <laughs> cheek, but. At that point, I had experienced punching before. Apparently, yes. Uh, <laughs> number five, if you could switch lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Uh, that would that would actually be Rachel Nichols. I want to know what that life is like, <laughs> the nonstop. I want to just feel it. You're a lunatic. There's a million different interesting people so in the world. Many and you pick other someone who's doing almost the exact same thing. I know, thing it's as so you. stupid. But I, I'm enamored by her. I'm always like, what the heck? What drugs does she do that I need to get on? <laughs> she drinks water, okay? That's how she got where she is. My, she drinks water. Look, my answer should be something about giving back and being a great person. But that's just not the space I'm in yet. You know what? I want to change uh, lives with my niece. She does nothing but eat and watch Elmo. <laughs> there you go. Take a break. Uh, number six, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been oh god um i was on the air once and i was anchoring sports center with chris hassel and right before they came right during commercial break um one of the commercials was remember brett Favre had like a a, a I, was it a water he had some gun or metal i don't know he always has those weird commercials on espn News, right right whatever it was so we're like talking about brett Favre, we're laughing about it blah 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 the first highlight coming out of break is a Packers highlight. And I had just started at ESPN. And so I take the Packers highlight. Obviously, Brett Favre's the court. Uh, obviously, Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback. And the entire highlight, every time you saw Aaron Rodgers, I said Brett Favre. And oh. 
I wanted to die. And Chris Hassel is writing on a, in a like a piece of index card, Aaron Rodgers. And I'm like, yeah, I know. What are you, what are you bothering me about? Isn't that the worst too when you're like, I said that. And I then you said- go back and you're like, what? I didn't say that? Sarah, to this day, I'll drive and I'll think about it. And you know that feeling, that cringe? <laughs> like, oh my God. And one other time when I thought this woman was pregnant, I congratulate her and Oops. she so was yeah. not pregnant. Diana, come I know, on. I know. That's I mean, day one stuff. Amateur. <laughs> uh, number seven, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Um, I'd say, just overall health, taking care of my body, whether that means physical exercise, which you're going to encourage, and yes. what I actually put into my body. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, number eight, if you could play commish for a day, what one rule would you enforce that all of society has to adhere to? Oh. You can't text and drive. Mm, it's a good one. Too Technically, that rule exists. It's just that oh, no one's adhering to it. That's actually a great point. Um, <laughs> I... People's manners are also so bad. I, I think you have to say yes, please, and thank you no matter what. I agree with you. People are terribly rude these days. Well, probably a lot of days, but especially it feels like it now. Yeah. Um, number nine, what's the most scared you've ever been? Three weeks ago, uh, I was on the NFL draft coverage, and on ESPN, there's basically an unspoken rule, which is you will not get in the draft show unless you have the juiciest story in the draft. And I didn't. I mean, I, I would say I had a juicy story. I wouldn't call it the juiciest one. But um, they got in my ear and said, we're coming to you. And I was scared out of my mind um, <laughs> because I was predicting that the Washington Redskins were going to draft Dwayne Haskins. I mean, and I felt very comfortable that they were doing that. But um, it was one of the coolest moments because was, I was very scared only because of the pressure. But the amount of text messages I got from the other NFL reporters right after that, because they knew exactly what I was feeling. Like Jeff Darlington and Sal Powell all wrote this. You just did the scariest 15 seconds of your life. Really? Yeah. That's how Why is it so different than other TV just because of the eyeballs? And I think it, we just build it up so much here. And if you think about it, you really don't want to leave the desk of the draft where Trey Wingo is with all the analysts in that city. You don't want to, you don't want to leave that space because that's where the action is. So you better have something real good if they're going to cut away. That's funny. Do you, do you tend to get nervous during stuff or is, is it, does it not phase you? You don't think about who's watching. I never think about who's watching. Um, I do get nervous a little bit here and there, but, but at this point, it's, I mean, we, we do so many reps. You just, right. It's just so it's just like big sweat. things like that that stand out. Yeah. It's really just yeah. dealing with the, with the comments afterwards from like, <laughs> you know, my, my mom's the worst. She's always like, you look so tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I love when they're like, you look really tired. And I'm like, well, I've done four shows. Today, I know. I know. So what do you think I feel like? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, number 10, what three words would you most hope people would use to describe you? Do they have to go together or they could be nope. three separate ones? Three separate. Thoughtful, genuine, passionate. Mm, those are good ones. Yeah. Um, and finally, the bonus question, who would you recommend I have on the podcast? Ooh, of anyone in sports? Anyone in life, in life? like that I could probably get because some people on my list like Michelle Obama are a bit of a reach. I actually believe in you. I think you could. <laughs> I believe you could definitely get that done. Um, I mean, there's topical people I would love for you to get right now just because I want the answers to some of the things like <laughs> like the Jets owner. I would love right. to know like what the heck they're doing. Um, you've already had my my friend Mina, right? Yes, of course. I know. Just kidding. Um. I don't know. I have so many people in my head right now that I'm thinking outside sports that I would love to have you ask all these questions because I want to know the answers too. <laughs> um, let's go. I'm going to stick at sports. Let's let's go. <laughs> this is going to be funny because I know how you feel about him. Eli Manning. Oh, that would be a very interesting one. Because I want, I think you can get it out of him. <laughs> I think you can really get the scoop from what the heck he's thinking right now. Oh, uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but let's put it out in the universe, just in case. Just in case. I'm going to have um, Thank you so much, Diana. This was so fun. 
Uh, so fun. Thanks for having me on. This is great. Yeah, this was so great. And uh, maybe I'll see you in person sometime. Otherwise, I'll see you on the internet. So weird. I know. This, go, uh, go drink a full glass of water right now. I'm going to do it for you. Thank you. That's what she said. It's time once again for South Bitch Sessions, where I rant about something that bothers me and I fix it. Now, I hate to give another grammar lesson so soon after the whole hashtag blessed thing, but... Okay, I'm just kidding. I love giving grammar lessons anywhere, anytime, and this one is very necessary. I'm urging people to understand the difference between apart, two words, and apart, one word. I promise one day if I snap, it's going to be about this. And this comes up a lot, two words, in sports, because people are always posting about how happy they are to be apart, two words, of a title run or a championship team or a charitable effort. So if they say they're happy to be apart, one word, They're saying the exact opposite of what they mean. To be a part of something, two words, means to be one component of a larger whole. A part, two words, is usually used with the preposition of, a part of. Easy way to remember it. To be a part from something, one word, is to be separate. To be something that is not with other things. So a part, one word, is used with the preposition from. Easy way to remember the difference. In related news, workout, one word, is a noun. I just finished a workout. Workout, two words, is a verb phrase that means to exercise or find a solution to something or that things turn out okay. These things matter, people. All right, fine. Workout versus workout doesn't really matter that much. They mean similar things. But apart, one word, versus apart, two words, does matter. And they mean completely opposite things. So if you're happy to be a part of the team, then be apart, two words of it. Okay, I feel good about what we accomplished today. A part of, a part from, they mean different things, they're spelled differently, they matter, pay attention. Don't say that you want to be apart from a team that you're currently on, that means you want to not be with them. There, I fixed it. If you've got a dilemma for the commission to fix, tweet me at Sarah Spain or go to the iTunes or podcast app, subscribe, rate and review and leave the dilemma in your review and I will scroll through those reviews and those ratings and find them and every once in a while I'll solve one of your listener dilemmas. Thanks as always for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. <laughs> 